Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church podcast, and thanks for joining us for this episode. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoy this content, please don't hesitate to leave us a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends. We'd like to extend an invitation to you and your family to join us for worship this week at Grace Baptist Church. We'd also love to connect with you online at gracekettering.org. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy the episode. Matthew chapter number two, Matthew chapter number two, and we're looking at verses one through 11 today in the story of the wise men. In our series, Jesus is hope. And I hope this will encourage your hearts this morning. We're going to read this passage of Scripture together, and then follow along as I read. And we'll jump into the message this morning. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east. Uh, They had observed it from their home place in the east of of Jerusalem. And we are come to worship him. When Herod the king heard these things, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. And when he gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, For thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art thou the least among the princes of Judah? For out of thee shall come a governor, notice the capital there, a governor, and and that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when ye have found him, bring word again that I may come and worship him also. Do you get the sense that Herod's not so genuine? Do you just kind of feel that in the text with me this morning? Verse number 9, When they heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star... Which they, had, uh, which they saw in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come into the house, they, were, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this opportunity to open up your word this morning. We submit this time to you. Would you hush our hearts and you give us what we need from your word? I pray that if anyone does not know you as their personal Savior today, that they would receive you by faith and that they could know certainly that when they die, they would spend an eternity in heaven with you, that they have been reconciled with you. And I pray that for every person here and those watching, that that would be the case. I also pray for our children 
as they listen to your word this morning, would you touch their hearts in a special way, and would you feed us all with your word, and we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. Thank you for standing. How many of you know the, the name uh, John D. Rockefeller? Does that, that uh, ring a bell? Uh, John D. Rockefeller was an in, influential person in the early part of the, the, la, uh, the last century, and uh, he, he owned or founded what was Standard Oil and made quite a, a living off of it, didn't he? And, uh, and was, was quite a wealthy man, one of the wealthiest men in all the world. At the time of his death, it is said that uh, he was worth, back in 1937, was worth some $340 billion. Uh, that's the, the knowledge that I have, the research I've done. But uh, it, to say the least, he was a very, very, very wealthy uh, individual. Uh, there's also a quote that is credited to him. And uh, I, from my research, uh, I, I understand that this is something he said towards the end of his life. Someone asked him uh, this, this question, how much money does it take uh, to make a man happy? That's a good question. How much money does it take to make a man happy? And he said something to the effect of just one more, one more dollar, one more dollar. And it does seem like there's a, a nugget of truth in there in our day and really throughout all of human history that we are constantly on a search for a little bit more. If I just had a little bit more in my bank account, if I had a little bit more uh, uh, resources, then, 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 then I would, be, I would be happy. And the same goes for even somewhat of, of knowledge or, or wisdom. If, if I just knew a little bit more, if I had a little bit more education, now some people say, I'm, I'm done with education after eighth grade. I, I don't want any more. I don't want to go through high school. I don't want to go to college. And, 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 and there certainly are, are those that say, you know, I, I'm just content uh, to go through life that uh, that way, but others will say, boy, I, I want to know more, and I want to know more, and that's the answer to life's, life's problems. Either, either way, oftentimes we can, find, uh, we can find that humanity puts its hope in, in a little bit more wealth or a little bit more wisdom and, and seek after that throughout their whole lives. And here before us, we have some individuals we do not know how many. We often say three. We three kings of Orient are, you know the, how the Christmas carol goes, uh, we often say three, um, largely because there were three gifts that were given. But we don't know if there were, weren't more that were accompanying these wise men. But we do understand that these wise men were indeed wise, or they, they at least in a worldly sense and in a secular knowledge uh, uh, sort of way, they were wise. They, they knew a lot of things. They were, they were students. They were people that sought after knowledge. They sought to understand how things worked together. Uh, work together. And they were also very, very wealthy. And we understand that even from the gifts that they, they give, but from where they came from as individuals who would have uh, stood in the presence of kings and um, been a part of counseling kings and part of, their, uh, part of their counseling and giving advice to kings really would relate to their study of the stars. And so I want us to realize this morning that these wise men, in a very real sense, had a lot going for them. They had a lot going for them. They had, they had wisdom or uh, a, a worldly knowledge or just a, a general understanding about life and how thing, um, things go and, and, and work. They were students, but they were also individuals that, that knew wealth. They had a lot, a lot going for them. And you could look at them and say, well, they, they don't need anything else. They, they have all that is necessary in life. But there was still inside of these wise men a longing, a longing that led them to travel a great distance to find something they did not have. 
And I want us to catch a hold of the fact that Jesus, as we'll see in today's story, Jesus is hope for the wealthy and the wise. We've seen that Jesus is hope in a dark world. Uh, When everything around us seems to be crumbling apart, when our world seems to be unraveling, the perilous times are all around us, we can find that Jesus is hope. He gives light. He gives a, a way forward. His word is a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. Last week we saw that Jesus is hope to the lonely who have suffered loss. Yes, to even an Anna who was a widow for many, many years. Uh, Jesus was hope to her. The sight of Jesus brought hope and confident expectation to her heart. But sometimes we look at a person who has it all put together, has the world's resources, has all the knowledge, and we say, they don't need anything more. And yet we see in the lives of the wise men, they saw something more. So whether you're kind of at the bottom of life or at the top of life, no matter where you are, I want us to really grab a hold of this truth that Jesus is our hope. He is our confident expectation. As Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1 and verse number 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of our God our, uh, of our God and Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. He did not say he gives hope, uh, though he does, He said this, which is our hope. He himself is hope. And that's exactly what the wise men found Jesus to be, that he was their hope. He was their confident expectation. He was what would satisfy the deepest cravings and longings of their heart. And so today, there are still those that seek after wealth and wisdom that need to find, and maybe that's you today, need to find that Jesus is your hope. Maybe in the middle of this this economic struggle, the inflation, you're torn inside. If I just had a little bit more, I could, I, could, I could be happy. That's when everything would come together in my life. No, Jesus is still your hope even when you don't have enough. Jesus is your hope when you have, quote unquote, enough. Jesus is still your hope. And this is especially an important message for us as Americans because we can lean on things that we have. We can lean on the resources we have. But these men knew we needed something more. Notice their hunger, the hunger they had for exactly that, more. More than what they had experienced in life. Oh, yes, they had experienced the pleasures of life, and no doubt a little bit like Daniel. If you've read the book of Daniel, Daniel was brought into Babylon, and and he was offered the king's meat and and, and clothing and riches and all these things. But Daniel, was his hope and his, his trust didn't, uh, didn't stay there. His, his hope was in God, and his desire and trust was in God. And so even like Daniel, these men had experienced so many of the pleasures of being around a king and in the king's court and having all the riches, yet they wanted more. They, they felt that they needed more. Now, these men studied the stars, and as they were studying the stars, they, they saw something that piqued their interest, the, the star that, that gave indication that the king, the Messiah, had been born. Now, I want us to notice in verses 1 through 2, they were diligent in this hunger to, to respond to the light that the God had given them. Notice they had seen in verse number one a star from the east. They, they came from the east, verse number two. They, they saw the star. They observed the star in their, in their gazing, in their studies, in their, in their uh, looking throughout the sky. They saw this star in the, in the east, and they were piqued by it. They were interested by it, and they started to respond to it. Now, likely these men were from Babylon. If you can give me the map, 
we'll see where that is. It's about 500 and, and so miles away from Jerusalem, uh, as best as we can tell. Uh, at the very least, this journey would have taken a couple months if they were traveling some maybe 18 miles a day with, with uh, camels and with load and provisions out there, and they would have been going through mountain passes and deserts. It would not have been an easy journey. In fact, this is a similar journey to the journey that Ezra brought many people back from Babylon, a uh, similar journey that was going on there, and they probably would have taken a little bit of an arch there uh, 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 rather than a, uh, as a co uh, the crow would fly, just uh, because that would have been a better way to travel. But regardless, it was quite a journey in them coming from Babylon. There is said to have been a, uh, a school there, a special school there of astronomy and astrology there in the Babylon area. That was especially common for them in that that. Uh, area, the region of Babylon, to study the stars and to make, uh, make conclusions upon it. But regardless, here are these men that, that are traveling and they're responding to the light they had received. Uh, Linsky uh, mentions this, the fact that the Magi understood the long, uh, to, undertook the long journey to Jerusalem in order to discover the newborn king of the Jews, whose star they had seen, indicates that they were not Jews, but also uh, that the great messianic hope of the Jews, a hope in which they as Gentiles had a place in part, had been communicated to them by Jews and had fascinated their hearts. I want you just to pause and realize the bigness of God right here. God's people sinned against, God's people had sinned against him. They had worshipped other gods. God brings him into exile in the region of Babylon, in Babylon. We have Daniel, his three friends there. Daniel, in Daniel chapter 5, Daniel chapter 2 was made, made the chief, the, the master of exactly this astrologer, astrologers, the magicians, those that counseled the king. He was chief. Now we understand that Daniel would not have gotten into uh, a speculation and he would not have ventured uh, outside of the uh, precepts of God. His trust was alone in God. He sought his counsel from God and he gave it to the king. He interpreted the king's dream. Well, they used some pagan methods to, to bring some advice to the king. Daniel was not that way. He was made chief over them. And understand that the likelihood of Daniel even, even changing the way, the course of some of the of some of the studies there in the, the Babylon area, there is no doubt that these men had uh, some understanding about the Old Testament scriptures as we see, uh, as we see them looking for this star, understanding that a Messiah, that a king had been born. We understand in Daniel chapter 9, uh, 24 through 27, that Daniel had prophesied when specifically the Messiah would come in the study of Daniel's 70 weeks. I'm not going to get off much here, but I want you to show the graph here with Daniel's 70 weeks and understand that uh, Daniel had prophesied in Daniel chapter 9 when the Messiah would come, when he would be cut off, when he would go to the cross. And so there was, a, as far as the timing, uh, Daniel would have been there in Babylon when these things were written down. You can be guaranteed that Daniel shared, uh, shared these things. But more than that, we find in, in the book of the book of uh, Numbers 24 and 17, we find that the prophecy about this specific star, when Balaam, remember when, when uh, uh, Balak asked Balaam to curse God's people? Do you remember that? If not, go back and read Numbers 24, all right? Uh, but Balaam was, was a, a, a prophet, a renegade prophet, really, 
But when a foreign king uh, asked him to curse God's people, to pronounce a curse, God wouldn't let him curse. You remember Balaam's uh, donkey on the way, kept on uh, crushing his, his leg against the wall, and, and, and God was trying to say, I don't want you to go, I don't want you to go. He, he went, and God took control of his mouth. And in Daniel, um, Numbers chapter 24 and verse 17, uh, Balaam said this as a mouthpiece for God, I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. There shall come a star, capital letter, a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel and shall smite the, on the corners of Moab and destroy all the, the children of, of, of Sheth. And so this prophecy of the star was also something that no doubt was, was a part of uh, their understanding of the Old Testament scriptures. So it seems that these men had coupled and the understanding of, of astrology and astronomy with the study of Hebrew scriptures. Now, I do want to say something about astrology and astronomy. They are two different things. And in our day, we hear people uh, reading the horoscopes and, and so forth. Uh, understand these are men from Babylon. Uh, and there was that type of pagan uh, rituals that went on. Uh, there's also the study of the stars. Uh, the Bible talks to us in Psalm 8 and verse number 3 about beholding the stars and considering the stars. God wants us to consider that. I love being over uh, in, in, dark, in dark places where you can uh, look up and see the, see the stars. It's hard in the city, right, isn't it? It's very hard in the city because of all the light pollution. But over in West Virginia, in the mountains, uh, we, can, we can sit out there. And the longer you sit out there, the more stars that you see. And God wants us to consider the stars and to, to, uh, to even ask the question that the psalmist asks, what is man that you're mindful of him? Why do you even think about us when you've created billions and billions of stars and you know them by name? There's a difference between that and going to the stars and trying to um, gain revelation or gain insight as if the stars act independently of the creator. And so I, I do urge you to be careful in this day and warn you to be careful in this day. In fact, Jesus, uh, God in Isaiah 47, verse 13, he says, Thou art wearied. Thou art wearied in the multitude of thy counsels. Uh, the Bible says in the last days, men will heap to their, uh, themselves teachers having itching ears. They're constantly longing for more and more knowledge. And he goes on to say, let now the astrologers, the stargazers, and the monthly pronosticators stand up and save thee from these things that shall come upon thee. In other words, hey, you're going to all them for wisdom. You're going to them for understanding. Let them save you. See how that works what God was saying. The answer's not in them. And it's amazing how God can take a, 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 a pagan group of people, an unbelieving group of people, and help them to begin to see light, and they begin to respond to it. Though it might be small, small responses, but God continued to lead these wise men along, even as they had received a little bit of light years, years ago as a, as a group, and perhaps that stayed in Babylon, perhaps the writings of Daniel stayed there, and continued to influence some of their thinking. But I want us to grab a hold of this point. They responded to the light that they had. And we should not involve ourselves in astrology and reading our horoscopes, amen? All right, go to the Word. All right? And I'd love to talk to you if that's something that you want to you uh, think through. But the matter is, we shouldn't, we're, not, we're not taking from these wise men saying, hey, we approve of that. But God gave them light in the midst of their darkness, and they responded to that light. This is a perfect example of Romans 1 and verse number 27, uh, 20. 
perfect example. God says in Romans 1 and verse number 20, for the invisible things of him from creation, from the stars, from the moon, from the trees, from the birds, from the possum running across the street, the invisible things of God are seen, are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even as eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. What's God saying? He's saying, by creation, we can understand that there is a God, so much so that we're without excuse before him. And these individuals responded to the light they had all the way from Babylon. And as they responded to that light, God gave them more light. And praise the Lord for that. And you, if you know Jesus Christ today as your Savior, you've responded to that light. In fact, I would, I'd make a case. Every single person in this room has responded to some, some level of light that God has given. And that's why you're here today. That's why you're seeking after God today. We're responsible to do that. We're responsible to respond to the light that God has given to us. John 6, says it's impossible to come to him except the Father draw us. He's given us light. He's given us light, and we praise the Lord for that. Titus 2 and verse 11, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared to all men, not some men, all men. And we're responsible to respond to that light that he's given us. So when these men arrived in Jerusalem, it created quite a stir. Just imagine as they came into the gates of Jerusalem, they began to ask this question that is written for us, where is the king of the Jews? Where is he that's born king of the Jews? Now, mind you, there's a king in, in Jerusalem. There's a king that is on the throne in Jerusalem, and he's not of the line of David. He's actually a, a descendant from Esau, so he is, he is an alien uh, on, the, on the throne in, in a way, and he's been placed there by Rome. And understand that this question would have really riled up Jerusalem. Where is he born king of the Jews? All right. So the, the individuals, the populace, is beginning to be riled up. But I want you to notice that the wise men, not only did they, did they come seeking and responding to the light that they had received, the wise men were undeterred by the reaction that went on in Jerusalem. And it was quite a reaction. In verses 3 through 8, we see that Jerusalem was troubled as they heard it, and then as it got up to the palace, to the palace of, of, of Herod the Great, there was great troubling. There was angst in Jerusalem. There was, there was kind of uh, a setting on edge. On the king's part, it was because, well, I don't want to be overthrown. On the people's part, they knew when Herod got jealous, bad things happened. And they had a reason to be troubled there in Jerusalem. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. We see this right now in this story. As Jerusalem it becomes troubled, there isn't a spirit of acceptance. Oh, we've been waiting for the Messiah. No, there was a spirit of rejection towards the Messiah and towards this one that was promised to come. Now, it's very interesting. Herod, in this moment, when he finally heard about this and called these wise men in and, and was talking to them, he calls the, the religious leaders together and he demands them to give him an answer about when this king and where this king should be born, where the Messiah should be born. We want to know. And you know what they did? They went back to the Old Testament scriptures. They went back to the Old Testament scriptures. And it's interesting here in verses 4 through 6, this Herod the Great is demanding an answer. He's not a godly man, but he's demanding an answer from the religious individuals. Though they would not receive Jesus as the Messiah, as the fulfillment of those scriptures they're going to read, 
Uh, Herod was demanding an answer from them. I want us to stop and think about this Herod the Great. Herod the Great, that's kind of an interesting, uh, interesting title, Herod the Great. Ruled from 73 B.C. to 4 A.D., so uh, just shortly after Jesus' birth would he, have, uh, would he have died. He died of a pretty painful, uh, like another Herod, but a pretty painful uh, physical ailment. Herod the Great was a paranoid tyrant. First part of his reign, he, was, he w- um, brought a lot of peace. He did a lot of building. A lot of things were credited to him. Uh, the temple, the fortress Antonia, in our study in the book of Acts, was, uh, was rebuilt by him. Uh, so he did a lot of things that we still reference throughout the New Testament. We reference back to the things that he, that he had built. It, uh, some of the things that he did really serve as a backdrop uh, for the New Testament. So a very interesting man, uh, quite a builder, quite a, quite a, uh, a, a dreamer, a visionary, uh, an amazing man in that way. But there came a point, and I don't know what sparked this in his life, um, but there came a point where he became very, very suspicious of everything to the point that he even would kill his own family members. He had two of his sons sent off to another city and ordered that they be, um, be strangled. Uh, he was a ruthless man. He had, he had 10 marriages, fathered 15 children from those, those marriages, was not, not a good man in, in, in any sort of way. He issued two commands on his deathbed. Now think about this, two commands on his deathbed, not, not sending wishes, well wishes to his family. Uh, here's what he did. To execute um, recently imprisoned Jewish elders so that the people would be mourning during his death. So I want to make sure that Jerusalem is sufficiently mourning. And it looks like they're mourning for me. So he, uh, he had elders, people that were respected in the city. And then to execute his son Antipater. Pretty amazing guy. So that makes three, three of his sons that he killed off. He even, his favorite wife, I, I was reading, his favorite wife, he had, he had uh, orders to the soldiers that if he died in a, in a foreign country, that she would immediately be killed. It's just strange, strange, and a very, very bloody man. But this I do not want us to miss. That Herod the Great, though wicked he was, believed the word of God. He didn't believe in it in a saving faith sort of way. He believed that it was accurate and true and he could, he could, base, he could base his actions upon it. So much so he's called all the religious leaders together and he says, you tell me what the word of God says. And he was going to try to act in defiance to the word of God. Micah 5 and verse number 2. If, you, if you're following along in the notes that's in there, Micah 5 and verse number 2 is the prophecy that says, um, Jesus, the Messiah, was going to be born in Bethlehem. But thou, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me, that is to be a ruler in Jerusalem, whose going forth has been from old, from everlasting. Talking about the, the, the eternal nature of the Messiah. So he doesn't have a beginning and end. He has always been. And so he, he, uh, he believed this, and he ordered the wise men to act in response to this. Now, Herod pretended to be a genuine seeker of the Messiah. And it doesn't seem that the Magi, the, the, the wise men, picked up on this. But he says, hey, hey, go your way. Come back and tell me so I can come and worship him too. Um, listen, the hypocrisy and the... Uh, and the uh, the double tongue there is just overwhelming. But it is in this moment, the Bible says that all of Jerusalem was troubled. All of Jerusalem. They knew something was brewing. And in, 
Matthew 2 and verse number 16, when he kills all the babies under two years of age in that area, let me tell you, they had reason to fear this man. He was unhinged, and yet here he is as a, as a wicked man taking steps based on the word of God. And that's pretty, a, a pretty, powerful, uh, pretty powerful story there. And how much more should we trust the word of God? May we be like the wise men in our pursuit of Christ, undeterred by the reactions of others. Man, you step into Jerusalem, you think, boy, they're going to all be happy about this king being born, the Messiah being born. No, not the case. There was quite a troubling reaction at that time. And ye shall seek me, and ye shall seek me and find me, when ye search for me with all of your heart. Let me ask you, friends, do you get deterred from seeking Christ by the reactions of others, by the actions of others. You know, it's easy to look at other people and say, well, they did this or they didn't do this, and it allow it to affect your own relationship with the Lord. Here, these wise men just stayed laser-focused. We're seeking Jesus. We're seeking the Messiah. We want to see this individual who we've come all the way from Babylon to see. We want him. Don't let anything deter you from seeking Jesus. Don't let any one person, the actions of a person, the reactions of a person, hinder you from seeking after Jesus with all of your heart. Let's be like the wise men in that way. And as the wise men left the presence of, uh, of Herod, scriptures they, uh, they had heard were confirmed by the continual revelation of God. Notice in verse number, uh, number 9, And when they heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star... This star, it doesn't seem that from Babylon to Jerusalem that the star led them. The idea is they saw it in the east and they followed with the light. They got to Jerusalem and they heard the word and then acted on the word of God. And then the star appeared confirming the word, the word of God. And there's an important lesson for us in that. The word of God was heard in Jerusalem. They took steps of faith based on Micah 5.2 as they, they heard that read and as they heard Fer, um, um, Herod say to go, and then the star appeared. It even says there, did you notice this, this little two-letter word, low? And that doesn't mean low, you know, it was down to the ground. It, it means behold, see this. This is, this is amazing. It's an interjection. Wow. Uh, there's a star. That's the same star that we, we saw when we were back home. And here it is again. And, and it was a confirmation to the word of God. Friends, God is so good to confirm his word, even through circumstances. But let us never forget it is his word that has the final authority. Preacher that uh, some of you men heard at men's conference said something this week that piqued my attention concerning this. Scott Pauley said, God's, God always confirms his will through his word. Wise men wait, wait on the word. Wise men wait on the word. They, they trust in the word. They, they wait for what the word has to say. And we need to be like the wise men who, who allow God to, there's some light. I'm going to follow after it. Oh, here's his word. I'm going to trust it. I'm going to take the next step. And then allow God to confirm over and over his word is absolutely true. His word is absolutely true. From Jerusalem to Bethlehem, the star led them as they followed the word of God, as they followed what they had heard there in Jerusalem. And that's a powerful thing. God will confirm his word. You can trust that. You can absolutely trust that he will confirm his word. Now, it might not be in your timing. 
But friends, the importance to stand on the word of God and not budge until God confirms one way or the other is so very important. It's a, it's a crucial matter in our Christian lives and in our Christian journey. And notice how this produced great, great joy. Did you see that in verse number 10? Let's read it out loud together. Verse number 10, Matthew 2, verse 10. Ready, begin. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. Great joy. Listen, when you're following after God's divine revelation, when you're obeying his word and following after and you see him confirm it, what great joy there is. There's nothing greater to know than to know that we're following the will of God, that we're in the will of God. He can help us with that. Psalm 119, 133. It's a great prayer. Order my steps in thy word. Order my steps in thy word. And let not any iniquity have dominion over me. Lord, today, would you help me to take step by step according to your word? Would you allow my steps to honor your word and to be in obedience? Here these wise men are, from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. Yes, we'll obey and we'll believe that the Old Testament scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures say that he's going to be born in Bethlehem. We're going to start that way. And lo, there's a star confirming exactly what God's word had said. Praise the Lord for that. God can confirm his word in, in unique ways even in our day. It might be a word from a, another brother or sister in Christ who have no knowledge of what you're going through. That's why you and I should be very sensitive when the Lord lays it on your heart to say something to someone, to pray for someone, you do it. You never know what God is doing in their lives and how he's going to use your, your encouragement to confirm what he's been teaching them in his word. Have you, have you received that before? I certainly have. I have sensed that, and it's like, thank you, God. I needed that today. I needed that right now. And uh, these stories in Scripture aren't some distant thing that we, we don't have, in, that aren't relevant to us. The, this, is, this is real life in following God. And so praise the Lord for that. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not to thine own understandings in all thy ways. Acknowledge him. Bring him into every single thing. Bring his word into every single decision of your life. He shall direct thy paths, and he certainly will. He will direct your paths. So the wise men had this hunger for more. They had a lot, but they wanted more. And notice how that leads them to looking for Jesus, and they found what they were looking for when they saw him. Notice the hope they found in the Messiah. These men did not stop until they had come to Jesus. They did not stop at Herod. These men were, were around royalty, but when, when, when they came to Herod, they didn't stop there. Oh, we've been, we finally got to be with the, the king over Israel. No, they didn't stop there. They continued on looking for the king of the Jews, the Messiah. They believed that prophecy, that Jesus was the Messiah, and that he, he indeed was the hope of mankind. And their reactions really demonstrate their hope. The reactions here in verse number 11, did you notice here? It says, once they saw, they entered into the house, and they fell down and worshipped him. They fell down and worshipped him. I do want to say this, that um, as far as the timing of the wise men coming, there's a lot of debate. Um, and you even notice uh, here, it, it seems that it might be a little bit after. Uh, he's called a young child. It's also called a house that he, um, they came into. So it may have been months. It may have been, it could have been year, year. Some have said even two years. Um, where the Lord doesn't give us uh, absolutes on that, we'll just have to be content until we get to heaven. But the fact is, they did come, 
and, uh, and it most more than likely is under, uh, under two years, within the, the span of, of two years, that they had come. And uh, we just based that off of the fact that, that Herod uh, killed those that were two years and younger. Perhaps Herod wanted to spread a wide net and really didn't care about catching everyone in the, uh, the wake. And so maybe it was, it was four months and he just wanted to catch a wide net to make sure that he was safe. We don't exactly know, but here they are. They come into the house, and what is important is when they saw Jesus, no matter what age he was, they fell down and worshipped him. Notice how their, their hope was demonstrated in their worship, humble worship. They did not fall down before Herod. They fell down before a baby, before a young child. They demonstrated great reverence for Jesus. My ears ring with uh, Philippians 2 and verse number 9. Wherefore God hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, and of things in heaven and of things in earth and things under the earth. Yes, he is highly exalted even as a little baby. They recognize this is, this is the baby that God has sent. This is the promise. This is the fulfillment. This is my hope, and therefore I worship, I worship him. I worship him. Worship to bow down, to ascribe worth, to give reverence. I want you to turn over to Revelation chapter 5 and verse number 12. We'll run ahead to what's going to happen in heaven. Revelation chapter 5 and verse number 12. I want you to catch this scene in heaven when Jesus is exalted. Who's going to open the book? Who's going to open the book and, and, and tell us the contents? Who's worthy of that? Revelation 5 opens up. They ultimately uh, believed the the, the crowd that was gathered in heaven, they they said it's the Lamb, it's the Lamb, Jesus Christ, who's going to be worthy to open up the book. And there goes on to be a a worship service in his presence. Revelation 5 and verse 12, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. That's a lot of that's a lot of statements there. But I want you to realize that worship is, is not just kind of a, a cavalier, simple. When we start to worship Christ for who he is, worship the Lamb for who he is, a lot of adjectives, a lot of attributes begin to come to our minds. And that's what happened here in heaven. Go on in verse number 13. And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all, all that are in them heard I saying. So there's a chorus of all creation, all creation worshiping the creator here. Verse number uh, 13 go on. Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. Amen. Amen means so be it. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. You know this, what we see here in this home with the young child Jesus and these men who are coming to Christ and they're believing on him, they're falling down and worshipping him, we'll see that, that scene repeated again in heaven. And you know what? We'll all get to be a part of that. I look forward to that day. The idea that we'll casually waltz into the presence of Jesus Christ is not biblical. We will fall down as these wise men did. We will fall down as the four and, and, and 20, uh, 20 elders did, and we will worship him, ascribe him the worth that he belongs. Ultimately, my worth is derived from him. 
The value of every human life is based on the fact that we were created by him. And you and I have intrinsic uh, worth in and of ourselves. It's because of him that we have worth. And we give him back that worth and saying, you are worthy. And so we worship him as they did. Now, I do want us to notice here, it is impossible for us to, to get beyond this. They did not worship Mary here. They worship Jesus. They did not worship Mary. Jesus alone is to be worshiped. Now, I'll tell you, every woman in this room should look up to Mary as a role model of purity, of godliness, of receiving the favor of God, not because she was something more special than any other human woman, but she followed and honored God. And every teenager here, I talked to the teens this morning about this, you young ladies, you ought to, you ought to really meditate on Mary this time of, uh, time of year and pattern your life after her. But she is not to be worshipped Jesus alone is to be worshipped. And so we worship him, and so didn't they. They fell down before him. And I want to ask us a question, and maybe it, it seems like, uh, maybe it's a, a rhetorical question. But if we think about it, I think there's some meaning in it. Do you worship Christ as these did? Do you worship Christ like the wise men? Does your heart fall down before him? There are times where you just on your knees and, and just admit your humility before him. Uh, I, am, I am in and of myself. I am a man, as Isaiah said, of unclean lips, and I'm a man that's undone. You're worthy of my worship. Worship is not a song that we sing. Worship, first and foremost, is a humility of heart. It comes out in songs that we sing, but not every person that sings a religious song is worshiping him. In fact, many in our day, there is so much show that goes into what we call worship in this day that is not actually worship. Worship, according to John 14 and verse number 24, we must, four in, in verse number 24, we must worship him in spirit and in truth. According to, by the help of the Holy Spirit in the spiritual realm and according to truth and according to his truth. God is the one who tells us how to worship him and ascribe him worth. And A.W. Tozer said it well. We must never rest until everything inside us worships God, worships Christ for who he is. Everything inside of us bowed, uh, bows down and recognizes our position before the Savior. We see in Revelation 4:11, as we sang a moment ago, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. You're worthy, not me. You're worthy. You're to be exalted. I want to exalt you. Uh, one author said it this way, Worship changes the worshiper into the image of the one worshipped. You can tell we've really worshipped Him when we begin to look like Him. And when our worship reflects the world around us more than it reflects Jesus Christ, something's wrong with that worship. Matthew Henry, he is a commentator on the Bible from years, years gone, often very wordy, but he said this, it is not enough 
for me, for us, to be where God is worshipped if we do not worship Him ourselves. And why that is so important for us to grab a hold of right, right now, it is possible to attend a worship service and yet not worship. We must individually, as the wise men, fall down before Him and give Him the worth that He is worthy in this season. Don't be content to gather around with others who, who from their heart are worshiping. You yourself must worship the Lord Christ. You must worship the Messiah. And don't automatically assume that working for God or doing the right things is equal to worship. Sometimes we can be busy for God and yet not worshiping Him. We can be doing it to prop ourselves up. We can do it for our own motives. No, Lord, I serve you no matter the consequences. I serve you no matter what it costs me because I want to give back to you my all. I love you so much for what you've done for me. I want to give it back to you. Be careful. Be careful of getting used to just serving the Lord. Maybe you have a ministry around the church. Be careful of just getting in the, the, the routine of serving the Lord and not coming to frequent daily points of personally worshiping him. Your work must flow from your worship. And it is possible for me as a preacher to preach messages and yet not worship him. It's possible for you as a believer to serve God, to give, to care for others, and yet not worship him. Are you bowing down before him as these, these wise men did? Is your heart bowed before him? Is there a humility of heart that explodes in a song, explodes in praise, that explodes in a prayer? Thank you, God. What did Jesus say for us to pray? Our Father, which art in heaven, help me out, hallowed be thy name. Wow. Right there. Hallowed. You're exalted. You're blessed. You're set apart from us. You're different than me. I hallow your name. I set apart your name. Be so very careful of, of just getting in the acts of, of working for Christ or just going through life without coming to these places of, of worship before him where your heart is bowed before him, where there's a humility of heart. God, help us to worship. I want us to notice that their worship flowed out into offerings. Offerings. Notice they demonstrated their hope in, in the bringing of offerings. They had planned for these offerings. They had brought them from afar in verse 11. And when they opened their treasure, their, their lockboxes, if you will, uh, their saddlebags, their camel saddlebags, I don't know exactly uh, what they housed it in, but it's the idea of some sort of container. They opened it up and they presented to him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Uh, gifts you probably aren't receiving for Christmas. Maybe. But nonetheless, they were gifts. Now, potentially, there's some, uh, uh, there's some symbology here. Um, but most, mostly, we should just grab a, a hold of this, that these gifts were worthy of a king. They were costly, and they were worthy of Christ. They brought their very best. Some of these gifts weren't even available. The, the frankincense and myrrh, doesn't even seem to be a, available in that region, would have had to come from India. So imported stuff, and especially in that day, very, very expensive. 
And yet they brought their very, very best to Jesus in, the, in that day. And I want us to realize that these gifts likely provided the resources Joseph and Mary needed to get to Egypt. Because in the next verses, they're going to be going down and they're going to be living in Egypt, a foreign land, away from providentially being taken out of the danger zone of, of Herod as a bloody man sla uh, slain and, and uh, aborting all those babies throughout Jerusalem. You talk, about, you talk about the wave of darkness that spread over Jerusalem in that region in that day. So these gifts were very practical in that way. But I also want us to notice in verse number 12 that not only did they give gifts, they continued to obey the voice of God. Notice that as, as they got done with this scene, God says, I don't want you to go back to Herod, go home. And they obeyed. We should remember this, that sometimes we can get focused on what we bring to, uh, what we bring to God, the gifts that we bring, the, the finances that we bring, the talents that we bring, but don't ever forget this fact that your obedience to him and his word is an act of worship. It's an act of worship. And when Saul, King Saul in the Old Testament, he says, hey Samuel, I've sacrificed, I've, I, kept the, I kept these sheep from uh, 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 slaying the Amalekites, I, I've kept these sheep so that we could offer them as sacrifices. And you remember what Samuel said in 1 Samuel 15, verse 25? He says this, obeying and to hearken is better, better than sacrifice. God wants that. To disobey is, is like witchcraft. It's, a rebellion is like witchcraft. But behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. And here these men continue on sac, uh, 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 offering to God the offering of obedience, the, the offering of worship to him. We'll obey you. We'll not, we'll not seek, we'll not seek uh, levels of notoriety with the, with the king here in Jerusalem. We're going to obey the king of all the ages and we're going to go back home. We shouldn't let that pass us by. These people, these wise men had brought what they had, their very best, and offered it to Jesus. And they continued to obey God as they went back to their home places. There's the Christmas hymn or chorus, What can I give him poor as I am? If I were a shepherd, I would bring a lamb. If I were a wise man, I'd do my part. Yet what can I give him? There's a great question. What can you give to Jesus? What can you bow down before him with and worship him with and give back to him? What can you give the Messiah? What can you give him here in 2022? Yet what can I give him? In the last, the last phrase there, let's read that together. Give him my heart. Give him my heart. You know, if God has your heart, he has everything, doesn't he? He has your resources, he has your time, he has your talents, he has everything about you. Give him your heart, give him your life, give him your very best. Listen, the highest act of worship is to give back to Jesus the life that he first gave me. To give him back my everything. Lord, I don't know what you want me to do with my life, but I give it back to you. Whatever you want, I'm content to follow after you. We find in Romans 12 and verse number 1, in response to our salvation given to us by the Messiah, we should give ourselves a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. Perhaps you're here and you don't know for certain that heaven's your home, that your sins are forgiven, that you've been reconciled to the Father. The very best thing you could do as an act of worship to Christ is to accept the offer that he's given you. 
the forgiveness of sins, reconciliation with the Father through faith and his shed blood at the cross in your place for your sin. He says, but as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Give him your heart. Give him your heart. Stop going your own way. Stop pursuing after your own sins. Stop pursuing after your own righteousness. Give them your heart. What an act of worship that is. If you're saved here today, if you're born again on your way to heaven, give them your life. If you don't know them yet, give them your heart. Say, I accept. I accept you as my personal Savior. I admit I'm a sinner, and I need you. I accept you as the, as the one who alone can pay the full penalty of my sin. I accept you. So here these wise men had not found true hope in their wisdom or in their wealth in a foreign land, but they found it in the person of Jesus Christ. It was, it was Jesus that would give them confident expectation about the future. And I find that still today, that wealth nor wisdom will give us hope. But Jesus can. Jesus can. And if you don't know that, we want to help you with that. If you agree with that in your hearts, understand that God wants you to walk in the light of that. He also wants you to bring that to someone else this week. Because there are people who think, if I just had a little bit more, if my bonus was a little bit more, then everything would be okay. No, if they have Jesus this Christmas season, everything will be okay. I want to close with this verse. Psalm 33 and verse 22. Let thy mercy, O Lord, be upon us according as we hope in thee. Let thy loyal love be showered upon us. Let thy salvation be showered upon us according as we hope in thee, according as we put our expectation in you. Where's your hope today? Where's your hope? I trust that it's not in wisdom or wealth, but it's in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you bow with me? And I do believe that we should bow before him. And all across the auditorium, I'd invite you. The Lord's working in your heart. Do you truly worship him? I'd invite you to find a place to kneel, whether here at the altar in a moment or there at your seat, and just bow before him. Thank him for your salvation. Thank him for coming to earth and worship him this morning. But I ask you, is your hope in your wealth or your desire for wealth? Say, I'm not wealthy, I'm poor. Is your hope in your desire for wealth? Is your hope in the wisdom that you can gain through life, your, your experience, the knowledge that you picked up along the way and the pathway of life, is your hope in that? Or is your hope truly in Jesus alone? And do you demonstrate that hope by how you worship him? Let's stand together. Father, this morning, I pray that in our hearts, that in every heart here, that we would bow before you. And worship you. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the story of the wise men and how they worshipped you. They demonstrated their hope in you and how they worshipped you. Help us to do the same. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. With our heads bowed, just an attitude of prayer, the silence of this moment, would you find a place to bow before him, kneel before him, whether here at the altar or there at your seat, I'd encourage you to bow before him and take some time to worship him this morning. Thank you for listening to this podcast. 
To learn more about Grace Baptist or how to have eternal life, visit gracekettering.org. And remember, you are always welcome at Grace Baptist Church.